the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, Psalm 23, that whole analogy of shepherding and sheep is all through the Gospels. I mean, it's a picture of the loving, tender care that a shepherd gives to sheep, and that analogy is used for pastoring and uh, sheep being the flock, being, being, being the church, being the congregation. And so the idea behind the, the major responsibility and role that a shepherd has to a flock is to feed, lead, love, and protect. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Did you know that a pastor, leader, or Christian can be described as a shepherd? As a verb, its definition is to guide or direct in a particular direction. Today, Pastor Gary reminds us that a shepherd feeds, leads, loves, and protects his sheep, his flock. You are his sheep, and those around you following your lead are sheep also. We are instructed to feed them with the Word of God, lead them in the direction of Jesus, love them like Jesus would love them, and protect them from the world around them. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So just as kind of a running start into this closing chapter, by way of a quick review from chapter 4, uh, Peter is giving instructions to believers about what our lives should include. And there are five things from chapter 4, and it spills into chapter 5, so I just want to review it real quickly. He, he calls us to holy living, serious praying, continual loving. And then also number 4 and number 5, he tells us in chapter 4 that uh, we are also to be uh, people who, whose lives are marked by faithful serving, and unfortunately, some expected suffering. Remember again, the book of First Peter mentions the word suffering more than any other book of the Bible, and it's only five chapters long. And again, it's because this is written during a time when there's severe persecution of Christians going on in the world at this particular time, between the years 64 and 67 A.D., during the time when Christians are particularly being persecuted by, the, by Emperor Nero of Rome, and so he's got a lot to say about suffering. But in the context of all this suffering, here's what Peter also says hold on to your heavenly hope. Because this world has its share of suffering, 
But there is a world to come for the, for the believer, and our confidence is in the Lord and our future hope, which is heaven and, and not in this world. And so that's, that is the balance of what he's saying here. He's not just, you know, droning on and on about, hey, there's going to be a lot of suffering, there's going to be a lot of suffering, there's going to be a lot of suffering. He's talking to a people of this particular time who know firsthand what suffering is all about. And at the same time, he's saying, hold on to your heavenly hope. Hold on to your heavenly hope. And there are three particular ways that he says we can expect suffering. First, we can expect suffering as saints, just simply as Christians. There's the persecution of Christians around the world. We're pretty much removed from it in the most severe sense, but there are plenty of brothers and sisters in the world today who know uh, what suffering is just for being a Christian. And again, the people that he's writing to primarily understand suffering as saints. And then he also talks about suffering for sin. And it's not just that we suffer for sin when we do sinful things and therefore we suffer the consequences. What he's talking about here is suffering for sin in the sense of dying to self because in chapter 4, verses, uh, verse 1 and 2, where he talks about, you know, Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. You know, he, he died on the cross. Therefore, arm yourselves with, with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So he's talking about there needs to be a certain kind of suffering that we endure in the sense of dying to self, uh, crucifying the flesh, uh, so that we will not be people who give in to the, the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, but rather people who live for the will of God. So there is some measure of suffering for that. When we determine that we're just going to die to self, we're going to crucify the flesh, you know, that's hard. And, and yet we're called to that kind of suffering. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's so that we might live for the glory of God and not for our own fleshly desires. And then the third kind of suffering that he gets into more here in chapter 5 is suffering from Satan. Now, we'll talk about that when we get to it, but first, uh, here in the opening verses of chapter 5, uh, Peter is going to address a, a group of people in the final exhortation of this last chapter. And the group that he's going to address first here in chapter 5 are elders slash pastors. So he's going to give some exhortations here to elders and pastors in the first four verses. So let me read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll come back and talk about what what he is saying here. So in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not uh, rather nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So the first thing that he says here in exhorting elders slash pastors is, I know what I'm talking about and I know to whom I speak because I am one. He says there in the beginning, he says to the elders who are among you, I who am a fellow elder, see he identifies himself here as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Because even though Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, from a distance he did see the literal sufferings of Christ being crucified on a cross. 
And he says, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. See, that's where Peter laces this whole idea of suffering in this age with the future glory that awaits us. When he adds there, he goes, yeah, I'm a fellow elder. I've seen and experienced and witnessed the sufferings of Christ. But I'm also a partaker, future tense, of the glory that will be revealed. So he, again, is urging us to hold on to that eternal hope, hold on to the fact that heaven awaits us, hold on to our ultimate reward. Right now, it's dark, it's ugly, there are things we're going to have to go through, experience, endure, don't give up, uh, persevere, because on the other end of it, there is a retirement that is literally out of this world. And And he identifies here as a fellow elder. Now again, this is the Apostle Peter, and he is one of the original 12 whom Christ selected. Um, He is, if you will, the preeminent among the disciples. He's not the first pope. That's not what I said. I just said he's preeminent because every time the list of the disciples is mentioned in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, Peter's always at the top of the list. He's always mentioned first. In fact, next to Jesus... There is more mentioned about Peter in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, than any other person. So he is a central figure in the, in the Gospels, and he is preeminent among the disciples, uh, the apostles, the original 12. Uh, and so he is a fellow elder. Now, he's not, he's not necessarily asserting his authority here. He's not, you know, pulling the apostle card on them. He's just simply saying, I identify with you. I am one of you. I get this. And so everything I'm about to say to you, I receive for myself because I'm a fellow elder with you. And he speaks here to the elders. Uh, that's verse 1. It is the Greek word uh, presbuteros. And it can mean elders in the sense of church leadership, but it can also just simply mean elders in terms of age and maturity. Uh, he's he's going to get to the younger people in the next section, so don't check out if you don't consider yourself to be elder, all right? If you consider yourself to be younger, there's more coming for you, so hang on. But for the moment, he's going to address the, the elders And so it can sometimes be interchangeable. It can sometimes mean just simply elder in terms of age or maturity, uh, and it can mean elder in terms of uh, leadership in the church. And you also notice another term he uses in verse 2, which is actually in a verb form, but it's from the noun shepherd in verse 2. And he uses another term in the latter part of verse uh, 2, which is overseers. So you have elders, shepherds, overseers. Overseers is the Greek word episkopos, uh, that is more of a church leadership term. We get our English words uh, Episcopalian from that word, episkopos, overseers. Uh, some translations say uh, bishop. It just means leaders in the church. And, and the elders, shepherds, and overseers can sometimes be used all three interchangeably in the scriptures. He's talking generally about church leaders. So why do I use the word pastor even though the word pastor is not in here? Because the word shepherd in the Greek is poimen, and that is the Greek word for pastor. So whenever it speaks here of shepherding, he's speaking of pastoring. And these three terms, elder, shepherd, overseer, can be sometimes used interchangeably in the New Testament. And he's going to say basically three things to this group. The first thing he's going to say here using this word shepherd is shepherd faithfully. Shepherd faithfully. Um, now, just in, in terms of a simple definition for one who shepherds, it would be one who feeds, leads, 
loves and protects. You know, again, if you were here, I don't know, a year, maybe it's been two years now, when I went through uh, Psalm 23 um, and talked about the role of a shepherd and the idea of sheep, you know, it's not just Psalm 23. That whole analogy of shepherding and sheep is all through the Gospels. I mean, it's a picture of the loving, tender care that a shepherd gives to sheep, and that analogy is used for pastoring and uh, sheep being the flock, being, being, being the church, being the congregation. And so the idea behind the, the major responsibility and role that a shepherd has to a flock is to feed, lead, love, and protect, just like what a shepherd is to real sheep. That's basically the responsibility. You feed them, you lead them, you love them, you protect them. And that's the same concept. Peter's saying this is the role of a pastor. You're supposed to be doing these things. Now, you know, um, depending on what your church background may be, and, or maybe you don't, maybe this is the first exposure you, you've had to church, um, you know, different churches operate differently. And, you know, when I grew up in a church, I grew up in a smaller church, you know, relatively speaking. The average size ch- congregation, the average size church in America is 86 people. Uh, and that was about the size of the church I grew up in. And therefore, it had a solo pastor. And that one pastor did everything. I mean, that, that one pastor did everything for the congregation. And proportionally speaking, it was pretty manageable. Obviously, in a church our size, I don't do everything. I can't do everything. Um, you would be neglected if your love, care, feeding, protection solely rested on me. And so, you know, I'm very thankful for the other pastors on staff here that God has raised up to help uh, shoulder the responsibility of feeding and leading and loving and protecting the sheep here. And, and so I'm grateful for all the pastors we have on staff. And together, we, we try to do these things. Now, obviously, as kind of the, the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, my main responsibility is the feeding part. And that's what I do on Sundays. That's what I do on Wednesdays. And I love doing it. And by the way, you make it a joy for me to feed, lead, love, and protect. Because I know enough horror stories from enough pastors, because we get together <laughs> and, and we share. And, and I know enough horror stories and war stories from other pastors to be grateful. You make it, a, you make it easy for me to pastor because you all are a great flock, and I say that sincerely, and so it's a joy to, to pastor, to shepherd. Um, and that's to your credit, and I thank God for you. And these are the main things that pastors are called to do, to faithfully feed, lead, love, and protect. Now, Peter is writing here, obviously, and he knows by firsthand instruction what it means to be a shepherd. Because if you remember, after Peter had denied even knowing Christ three times, there's a scene at the end of John's gospel, John chapter 21, where Jesus restores Peter into public ministry again. And there's this tender conversation that he has with Peter along the bank of the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21, where Jesus just simply says to Peter three times, gives him the same number of opportunities to acknowledge him as he did deny him jesus says to him do you love me peter goes you know that i love you do you love me you know that i love you do you love me you know that i love you and there's a there's kind of a play on words with the word love there that's not the main point but every time that jesus asked peter 
if he loved him, Jesus responded with a simple instruction. The first time he said, do you love me? Jesus responded after Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. The next time Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. The third time when Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said, again, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Those are the three things Jesus said. And again, the emphasis is on feeding twice. Two out of three times Jesus said, feed. And then he said, tend. And that word tend can mean all those other things. Lead them, love them, protect them. So Peter's writing here from firsthand knowledge, like, yeah, I kind of got schooled by Jesus. So, you know, I, so for the rest of the elders, and I'm one of you, for the rest of the pastors, I'm one of you, I just want you to know, it's important that you feed them, you lead them, you love them, you protect them, because that's what being a real shepherd is. It's also important to point out here, and, I, and you know, I think this is critical, and I don't think this is just, you know, semantics. Every time Jesus said in John 21, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and then feed my sheep, it was always my, this is Jesus speaking, my lambs, my sheep, my sheep. And the reason I point that out is because Peter heard that and he emphasized it here in verse 2 when he, look at your Bibles, when he says, shepherd the flock of God. It's God's flock. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with pastors over the years who refer to the congregation where they pastor as my people. And it bothers me. And I just want to publicly say, you are not my people. I mean, I'm your people and I'm your peeps, you know. (laughs) But you are not my people. You don't belong to me. You know, the church belongs to Jesus. It is his church It is the flock of God. Every time Jesus exhorted Peter in John 21, he said, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Okay, it was always mine. The ownership is the Lord's. And Peter emphasizes it here when he says, shepherd the flock of God. He doesn't say to any pastor here, shepherd your flock. It's not a pastor's flock. The flock, the sheep belong to the Lord. Pastors are just serving under the Lord to help what? Feed, lead, love, and protect God's sheep. And it's an important distinction here because, you know, uh, and I know know some of this, I'm actually just kind of preaching to myself. and, And if there were a group of pastors here, maybe this would be more applicable. But just so that you know what scripture says relative to pastors in general, my role specifically, you don't belong to me. You belong to the Lord. You are the Lord's sheep. You are the Lord's flock here. And I think that's just simply an important distinction here because he says, he uses the word entrusted in verse three, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. It's a stewardship thing. It's a caring thing. It's a loving and feeding thing, but no people belong to the pastor. And that's why he also reminds in verse four about the chief shepherd, because it's saying clearly Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is over all the flock. He is over every other shepherd, small s, and pastors are just supposed to serve under the Lord. Now, that leads to number two. One of the other exhortations he says here is to serve willingly. He says uh, in the end of verse 
2, where he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving, that's the key word, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, willingly, to serve willingly. Now, hopefully, whatever position God has called you to, you know, whatever you do for a living, whatever job you do for, hopefully, you are not doing it under compulsion. Hopefully, you are doing what you do because you're doing it willingly. But Peter says here, especially for pastors, you better be doing this willingly and not under compulsion. I mean, I mean, how, how thrilling would it be if you came up for prayer and you're like, Pastor G, I just have this, oh, you again? Oh. And I don't even want to be here. What's your prayer need? I mean, you know, how joyful would that be? So hopefully pastors are doing it willingly. Hopefully you're doing what you do willingly, okay? Nobody should be doing it under compulsion. Now that isn't to say that there are some days. There are some days for all of us. You don't really want to be doing what you're doing. Maybe just a bad day or, you know, you're just going through something and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I really want to be here. I don't know if I really want to do this. Those, hap- that, those days happen every once in a while, no matter what you do. But hopefully on a consistent basis, what you're doing, what you're called to, should be something that you want to do willingly. You want to do it joyfully. And particularly as pastors, <laughs> Peter's exhorting here, you better be doing this willingly, not under compulsion. You ought to be doing this as unto the Lord. By the way, the same Greek word for compulsion about not doing something by compulsion is used in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, about giving. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, nobody should give under compulsion. If you want to give in the offering, if you want to give to the Lord, nobody should ever do it under compulsion. I got okay, Lord, you know, okay, okay, this is the time when they receive, okay, all right, yeah, all right, you know. Nobody should give under compulsion, but it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, but God loves a cheerful heart. We, sh- we should do things cheerfully for the Lord. And Peter is saying here, particularly as pastors, You should be doing it cheerfully, willingly, not under compulsion. And then the third thing that he says here is, specifically to elders slash pastors, is you should lead humbly. You should lead humbly. In verse 3, he says uh, there, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, clearly by saying these things, Peter thought that pastors should have significant authority in leading a church because if he thought that pastors were powerless or just hirelings by a church board, then he would not be giving a warning here about the potential to abuse their authority and power because that's what he's doing. He's saying here, caution for every church leader You better be sure you're doing this not as lording authority over people, but by setting examples to people, therefore leading humbly. So he's not denying significant authority that pastors have in the local church, because that's why he's saying, you better be cautious here that you never use your authority in an abusive way. But nevertheless, he urges here leading by example, not lording it over people, but leading by example. This is very similar to something that Jesus said back in uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 10. Uh, He um, was asked by James and John, those two brothers, two of his apostles, uh, in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, he was asked, hey, um, 
they come up to Jesus and say, we have a question and we want you to do whatever we ask. I mean, it's pretty bold, right? We want you to do whatever, whatever uh, we ask. And, and Jesus says to him, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So these guys are having a power trip. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're kind of the original A team. We're the, the original 12 apostles. And before the other 10 figure out what we're asking, we want to come to you first and ask if we could have positions of a authority one on your right and one on your left when you come into your glory wouldn't you love to just be a fly on a wall when jesus like is hearing them and i would love to have seen jesus's reaction when they asked that question was there a pregnant pause was did he give him a look did he kind of like raise an eyebrow like you know i but he responds by saying to them you don't know what you ask He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, are you prepared to go through some of the suffering I'm about to go through? Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there. Just look under the Teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the Teaching tab, too. We'd love to have you join us at Cornerstone Chapel this weekend. Come spend some time in God's presence as we worship and exalt Him in praise and dig deeper into the truth found in the pages of the Bible. To find out more and get service times, check out cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of 1 Peter. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection.